0: For thousands of years, thick spiritual darkness covered nearly the entire world. The prince of that darkness, Satan, longed for the day when he would unite the entire world in open rebellion to God's authority. But then, one day... 120 men and women left an upper room in Jerusalem with a fiery zeal and a white-hot love for Jesus of Nazareth, the man who had changed everything about their lives. Their passion and their testimonies were infectious, and soon the kingdom of darkness was being plundered daily. Hey, this is Nate Dancer with Purity for Life, and this is episode 10 in our series, Babylon, the Seat of Satan's Power. When God's people are inflamed with love for Jesus and his zeal for his kingdom, Satan's master plan for humanity is presented with a massive barrier. In this show, we'll look at one of Satan's most effective counterattacks, fostering a church culture that is full of apathy.
1: Satan's master plan to lure men away from a soul-saving, life-transforming relationship with God has been underway for thousands of years. This is nothing new, but according to Scripture, the last days will see a great intensification of both good and evil in the world. The mysterious forces of lawlessness and godliness will bring forth their fruits to maturity in the hearts of men creating an unmistakable division between those who belong to Satan and those who belong to God. The division will not be between those who profess Jesus Christ and those who are unashamedly pagan. The division will be between those who heeded the Word of God to be ready and those who didn't. The scriptures speak with undeniable Clarity about the need to be prepared and ready for the perilous times that are coming. With so much at stake, one would expect to see Christians digging into the Word of God, seeking the Lord with all their hearts, doing their utmost to live holy, consecrated lives. Instead, a great sense of complacency has overtaken the church. Let's face it. The average churchgoer is apathetic. Well, that's not exactly right. He has passion. It's just not for the things of God. It's for the things that the world has to offer. Unfortunately, this creates a huge problem. When the majority of professing Christians accept a lukewarm and half-hearted version of Christianity, it sends a powerful yet unspoken message. This is the norm. In fact, there is an expectancy, almost a demand, that Christians temper their passions. The unspoken attitude is, don't rock the boat, don't be fanatical, leave things as they are. In this tepid spiritual atmosphere, it's perfectly acceptable to pursue any kind of pleasure that appeals to you, as long as you stop short of obvious sin. Of course, this low standard is incredibly appealing to our flesh natures. It gives us the green light to enjoy every form of entertainment we can possibly enjoy, short of obvious sin. To indulge every desire of the flesh we can possibly indulge, short of obvious sin. To pursue every possible idol that can be built up in the heart as long as it's short of obvious sin. One only has to read the New Testament with an open heart to realize that while this may be acceptable in America, it is unacceptable to Jesus. How did the American church get to such a place? I believe one of the keys to it can be found in the tremendous prosperity our nation has experienced over the last 70 years or so. We love the lifestyle that our money affords us and we don't want to part with it. And what is the fruit of our prosperity? Many professing Christians are simply letting themselves go, indulging in whatever forms of pleasure they can find. Most of those indulgences are winked at in the church. Pleasures that cross obvious lines are simply forced underground. While we maintain an image of morality to the outside world, the reality is that our purity is being rotted out by pornography and other forms of secret sin. In Luke 21, Jesus warned last day's Christians to be very careful that they aren't overcome by the spirit of the world. In verse 34, he says, watch out. Maybe your translation says, beware. Does that word mean anything to you? If Jesus stood in front of you and said, beware, would you heed his warning? Or is it possible that you have become so jaded that not even his words can reach you? Jesus is issuing a warning to his people here that should disturb us. He says, don't let your hearts be dulled. One translation says, take care that your hearts aren't loaded down with self-indulgence. Let me read this verse in the Living Bible. Watch out, don't let my sudden coming catch you unawares don't let me find you living in careless ease, carousing and drinking and occupied with the problems of this life, like all the rest of the world. This word carousing is describing the after effects of overindulgence. It's how you feel Thanksgiving evening. It's how you feel when you spend too much money. It's how you feel after you watch a carnal movie. It could be compared to the hangover a drunk experiences after a night of drinking. Most translations use the word dissipation, which Jesus uses to show the effects of giving oneself over to the things of the world. So the issue we face today isn't a lack of passion. Our problem is that our passions are being spent on the passing pleasures of the world. And nothing will deaden a person's passion for God like the things of the world. Perhaps it's time to take an inventory of your life you might consider asking the Lord to show you if you're involving yourself in activities or pursuits that are deadening your spiritual life. And as He points them out, begin the process of severing those things from your daily routine. As you do, I believe you will experience a fresh wind of spiritual life blowing through your life. Something new will happen the passion for God that has lain dormant in your heart will begin to come alive, will begin to be revived.
0: I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine coming to Christ at a time when many Christians are full of fire and zeal for Jesus. Imagine being surrounded by people who want nothing more than to worship, pray, fellowship, and see others come to Christ. Imagine being immersed in a spiritual current that is moving powerfully toward Jesus. What a blessing that would be. But now, imagine watching as that love and zeal for God is slowly but steadily replaced with apathy Compromise and love of the world. Okay, so Pastor Steve, um, in the first segment in this show, you were talking about how a culture of apathy in the church creates this environment where um, a standard of Christian living that is very different from what the Bible requires is accepted. And so people feel like, oh, as long as I do these basic things, I'm good to go. But I wanted to talk to you in this, in this segment about what you experienced back in the 1970s, because that was a time of, of revival when the church was very strong, healthy, passionate. And um, you've mentioned at different times that the, the atmosphere in the church— today is very different than it was then. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the differences and, and how you've seen that affect people's lives. One of the things you've said is that people were very passionate about the things of God, just generally speaking. Look at the church, there's a lot of passionate people. What was it like to have a church culture where the general atmosphere was just passion for God?
1: Well, I don't want to overstate it, you know the the part of the church that I was involved in, which was the Pentecostal side of things. Okay, that I was involved with in those days, uh, I would say the passion level there was pretty high, and I don't know that it's true of the rest of the church. Okay, because that's where my involvement was. Okay, and the Jesus movement came up out of. Uh, Chuck Smith and David Wilkerson, Leonard Ravenhill, those kind of men are the ones the Lord used to really usher in the Jesus movement that I got saved into in 1970. So yeah, there was such a difference. Of course, a lot of it was (laughs) i was young. We were young, and um, we were so excited, all of us ex-druggies and Uh all of that, you know. So there was that, but I guess the I could just get it narrowed down to one thing that I can use as a comparison. Back in those days, I used to love Sunday night services because after the service was over, we would gather around the altar of the church, and we would literally spend hours seeking the Lord. I mean, that was the norm. We would do that on Friday night. We would often have all-night prayer times, um, Friday nights. We would pray for a couple hours and go out witnessing to people. There was that kind of passion. So that was what a Sunday night service was for me in 1970. Fast forward all these years later, and there's hardly any churches that even have Sunday night services. People are so uninterested. They are locked into the culture, television, Internet stuff, Whatever, you know, they are just totally into that. They go to church on Sunday morning, but it does not seem to have— there's not much passion for the things of God today. There are pockets of it. There are people out there Mm -hmm. that really are passionate for the Lord, but not at the level it was in 1970 for sure.
0: Okay, so you definitely have firsthand experience with the church then and the church now and you have been watching decade after decade this passion declining, Um, when you think about what contributed to that decline, are there things that really stand out to you as the big contributors?
1: What happened was when the Jesus movement swept through the church, in the late '60s, early '70s, I mean, it did. It brought a lot of youth mm-hmm. who were excited about the things of God, and that just created an overall enthusiasm. And something happened out of that. Christianity became more popular in America. There was a, a real change. It, it went from being something that old people did, you know, until and by the 80s, it became something that young people were involved in. And so by the time we get to the 80s, we see um, a real change coming over in, in the evangelical movement. Mega churches started to proliferate across the country. Christian radio just really took off you know, there were shows that began then, they're still going today, have held that level of success all these years. So what happened was success came into the church and um, really became the thing. You know, to look acceptable to the culture is really what happened. So the aspects of success, the size, uh, and the focus became shifted from godliness to talent, and as that change happened, there was a great diminishment in the passion. You know, because then it became just gradually over time, it just became a mixture of the world and the the church, mm. and it's really gone downhill since then. Mm. So that's what I how I see it uh, was why that. Uh, fire went out from the 1970s.
0: So, yeah, so it's like the fire was there because people were pressing into God Himself. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then when the focus shifts to something else, you start kind of moving away and you just lose the passion.
1: Yeah, it's just success. I mean, that's what happened. It became the church became successful and kind of the culture started noticing the church and it wasn't all negative like it's become now you know now right. it's you know vitriol aimed at the church but anyway back then it wasn't that way
0: okay one of the things that you just touched on was that when you make something other than the pursuit of god the focus then there's going to be some kind of a a negative consequence. There's going to be some kind of diminishment in your spiritual life, and one thing that uh, Patrick and I were talking about in preparation for this interview was how easy it is to pursue a cause, because there's so many good ones out there, you know, like abortion, or justice, or um, the need to have godly schooling and training for your kids. or <laughs> There's so many, in a really wicked age, there's a lot of good causes to promote and to fight for. But then there's just the dangers that can come with it. When you make that the thing that you're going to focus your whole life on, what do you see as being maybe like a really main negative consequence of doing that?
1: Well, some of the causes you mentioned were not really going on in the 80s. Um, okay They just weren't. you know the, the main causes back then with Christian activists were against abortion, against pornography, against the homosexual agenda. Those were like the main things. And so especially for me because I'm here I am starting a ministry to men in sexual sin, they became big for me as well. But what I saw, and actually, to be truthful about it, I didn't see this at the time. It wasn't until later that I that I really could look back and see in hindsight. But what was happening was there was a shift because in the 70s, there was a lot of repentance going on. You know, people really seeing their need to repent of their sins and to walk circumspectly with God, meaning, being very aware of your own tendencies to veer off or to get carnal or worldly. Those were concepts that were very much alive back in the 80s still, you know, definitely in the 70s. By the time of the 80s, the shift that I could see happening – was we started focusing as the church. And what I mean by the, as the church, it's the activists on Focus on the Family, Don Wildman, um, Jerry Falwell, these kind of leaders were creating a movement within the church, and it was taking the church with it. And so they're focused on these causes, and basically what it amounted to was seeing the faults in the culture and focusing on the faults out there rather than looking at our own hearts and i think that was one of the main reasons why the church left that early passion for god you know and it was kind of displaced in one part by this kind of thing
0: okay briefly could you talk about like what's the connection though like why is it that starting to always look outward reduces the passion for god
1: let me answer that question by referring to the sermon on the mount how did jesus open it you know blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness those were the the foundational pieces that should be in place As people come into the kingdom, but also maintaining their life in the kingdom is that continual poverty of spirit, which really means just a tremendous awareness of your own need before God and living your life that way. That is what it means to walk in repentance, you know, as my Bible study says. And, um, That was, I believe, at some level, very real in the 70s and on into the 80s, but it started to change. Mm -hmm. And part of that change is what I'm saying is looking out instead of looking inward. You know, and I don't mean morbid introspections. You know, totally fixed on what's wrong with me. Right. I don't mean that. There is a healthy balance between having our eyes on God, but also being aware of our own lack and our own need. And that was what started changing in the eighties.
0: Okay, okay. Along with uh, what you were talking about, that sometimes God sees something different in our inner life as we're you know fighting for these causes or looking out and seeing all the, the problems in the world around us that God might see something going on in our hearts, that's basically what Jesus' message to the church at Ephesus was all about in the book of Revelation, because mm. he saw their works and he said there's a lot of good there. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah. You are You're not bearing with those who are evil, you're exposing false apostles, you're patiently enduring and you're bearing up for the sake of my name and you're not growing weary. But he also said, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. And, I mean, even as he went as far as to say, if you don't go back to where you were, I'm going to take your lampstand away. Um, why is this thing of maintaining the first love so important to Jesus?
1: Well, that's the whole point of Christianity, is to enter that relationship with God to where we love Him, a a love relationship, Mm. which is different from religion. You know, the Christian religion is, okay, I have all these do's and don'ts, and I'm I'm supposed to go to church, and I'm supposed to not do these things and go to these places. That's religion. Mm -hmm. But Christianity is a spiritual life. It isn't just going to church. It is interacting my spirit with God's Spirit and the— connection between that interaction is love. Hmm. It's my love for God that makes me want to interact with him, makes me want to worship him, and it's his love for me that wants to care for me and watch over my life and so on. So that's that interaction between God and us is what it is all about. You know, I know for myself that, yeah, I started off with a passion for God but it diminished over time, and, and it came back. And I think this is pretty typical for someone in the right trajectory is you start off you know, in that first love, and then just over time, you know, it kind of dissipates. But then it starts building up and into a mature love. And mm-hmm. that's what I can say 40, 50 years later for myself is that my love is, for God is so strong so much stronger than it was 20 30 years ago when I was in very passionate uh more so than I am today but it 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 has matured into something that's real and it controls my mind how I think and, hmm. and it it makes it my love for the lord is why I don't allow myself to lust and do the, the things i used to do it's i don't have to like beat myself into not doing it. I don't want to do it. Mm. There's just a change that's gone on inside me. Mm. I'm I'm just using myself as an example, you know. But um, that, I think, is part of what has been missing in the church is a real sincere love for the Lord. Mm. Um,
0: Okay, so you're talking about walking with the Lord for 40 or 50 years, and you've talked about kind of the... Process of maturation and in your love for the Lord, and I know from having heard you talk and just even from my own experience that in that process there's a lot of ups and downs. Yes, and it's not just like a steady incline. Um, so there are times where the love for the Lord is very strong; we can really feel it. There are other times where it feels like it's fading or waning. Maybe we feel like we've lost something. And if there's someone out there who's saying, I just, like, I need my passion for Jesus to be revived, and I want to continue in an upward trajectory, um, what do you say?
1: Well, let me answer it a couple of different ways. Big picture first, with a a sincere believer, and I'm saying that purposely, a sincere believer is going to have a trajectory. They're going to have their ups and downs, but they are heading... Somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, a year later, their downtime, they are more mature and closer to the Lord than their uptime, you know, a year before. Okay. You should be going like that. Yeah. There's the ups and downs, and that's just part of life. So there's that. But I think what you're talking about is something more. You know, a person just gets into a time of their spiritual life has become dull and flat and. You know, it just has lost that passion, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. I mean, again, there, it can be something that's, you know, just a a couple of weeks long or it could be a year or two or something. I know for myself, like, when I started getting, feeling that flatness spiritually, like, well, actually, (laughs) just not long ago, I spent the day, I listened to three sermons from different people, and then I did a study from something I had got from the Faith Homes way back years ago. That is a deeply spiritual study, and man, I'm telling you, it just it revived me again. Mm-hmm. You know, it just brought that life back, and uh, yeah, it just so happened Sunday morning I got up to speak, and that passion just came flowing out of me when I spoke to the men, but that came about from the day before. Mm. Now, if it wouldn't have been for the day before and you would have went to Friday, okay, I wasn't so passionate Friday, you mm. know, and if I were to just stayed on that trajectory, I would, okay, I'm sure I could have said some good things to the men, but not with that passion, not with tears in my eyes pleading with them. You know, that is the love of God that gets, um, what, just— Fills you back up when you get in that spirit. Mm. So, I guess what I'm saying is to take a day and just focus on the Lord. Just, I'm going to shut myself off from all the worldly stuff. Today, I'm focusing on God, you know, and that has a way of getting you back in the right thinking. And then, as you, when you get back in the right thinking, then your desire for the things of God. Mm. Um, you find that that is back again, then you want to stay where you're at. You know. Whereas when you drift off, you get way over our whack, and then your desires are more for the world yeah. than for the Lord. So yeah, I think a, uh, a turning point day, call it that, uh, is a good way to jumpstart yourself spiritually. Okay.
0: All right. Thanks so much for talking to us about all this stuff.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. When I was
0: preparing for this show, I reached out to three of our staff members, Josh, Reagan, and David, and I said, hey, listen, I need you to help me with something. I want to connect some of the concepts that we've been talking about in this show with daily life. And, you know, some people are more apathetic by nature. Some people are really passionate by nature. So what I want you guys to do is come in and talk about what it looks like to maintain a passion for Jesus in your daily life. Talk about some of the challenges. Talk about some of the things that work for you. And let's help people understand how to put these things into practice. So, they came in and had that conversation, and we'll play the best part of that interview for you right now.
2: So, kind of on the other side of that then, um... Talk, talk about what it looks like for each of you to have a genuine passion for Jesus and your own individual personalities. So for example, some people are more driven and some people are more apathetic by nature. So what does that, how does that play out in each of your lives?
3: I'm definitely more on the apathetic side of things. Um, so for me, it looks like being very purposeful and mm-hmm. examining myself just in the areas of like, how I relate to other people. Mm. Like recently I've been talking to my roommates very specifically and asking for prayer and then asking them if they see improvement or not in the area of just being kind. Mm. And so it's, I have to take a very purposeful approach cause I have to correct for, um, correct to go against my personality, which by nature is very apathetic and just kind of will take things as they come to me. And it's, you know, it's <laughs> the way the Lord made me to be good and, and, which is good in some instances, but in in the case of like dealing with issues, I have to be very purposeful and I have to correct very, it can sometimes look and feel like an Mm overcorrection, but most of the time, like if I'm taking that spiritual inventory, talking to the Lord and talking to other people about where I'm at, and shortcomings I may have when I get to the other side of it, it almost always is like, yeah, I I needed to do that. I needed to go the extra mile, um, skip a meal maybe and take a walk with the Lord and just Mm -hmm. do like a spiritual inventory and ask him to really search my heart and to really speak to me. Like, Lord, I know you've revealed this, that I'm not kind. For example, I I need, I need to take some time and purposely talk to him about that. Um, Another aspect is like, I I have to, I'm having to develop an almost like obsessive approach to my devotional times, mm. like, mm. um, planning like weeks, months of like what I'm for my Bible time, what I'm going to study. And then like literally have spreadsheets and word documents and mm. a calendar because I have to overcorrect. I have to not overcorrect. I have to correct for being by nature like if i wake up in the morning without a plan i'm kind of just like well i guess i'll read this or do that yeah. and at the end of two weeks i accomplish very little hmm. and i have to so i have to dedicate um very intentionally dedicate time to i mean just yeah the spiritual disciplines hmm. really it it looks it can look like i'm <laughs> like i'm obsessive or being legalistic but mm-hmm. by now i've discovered like no like i need to correct mm-hmm. yeah. in, in that severe or drastic of a way um, so that I can maintain the, the passion for the Lord, because if not, it'll just die out. If I just take life as it comes, which is my bent, my passion for the Lord will just mm-hmm. die out.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking, for me, I tend to be more relationship-focused. I was thinking about that aspect of just my personality being more relational and pouring into relationships tends to occupy a large part of my life. And in the past, I look back and I see how the enemy took that and used it for evil. Mm. And so now I've, I'm finding that I have to use the same energy um, that I used to exert trying to get to know people to know the Lord. Because, um, mm. you know, that can go into idolatry. And that might mean me getting away from people to seek the Lord. Um, instead of constantly being burnt out because you're being pulled in eight different directions yeah. and you're saying yes to everyone all the time, getting away, you know, mm-hmm. spending time with the Lord, whether that be in prayer, you know, opening up scripture, even reading a book, whatever that looks like. Um, for me, that's a, that's a huge deal because if I don't, um, my spiritual life can instantly start to fade away yeah. uh, into the background and people become very big. Um, so for me, that's a, that's a big deal.
4: I think for me, and what I see, whether I tend more introvert at in seasons or more extrovert or something like that, is I have to be obedient. It's what David was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like whether I'm a gregarious person, whether I really like being with people and that looks like kindness, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I still have to abide in Jesus and actually practice kindness. I can't rely on what I think comes easy. And so I think this gives a lot of hope to people um, in the church, because you might be like, oh, well, I'm not gifted like my pastor, Mm -hmm. so therefore I can't X, Y, Z. But the Lord's calling us to obedience, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's simple. And so I have to, okay, one command, Jesus, John 15, abide in me And you will bear much fruit. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be rooted in Jesus or whatever my personality is, it's still going to be fake when it's held up to what's real. And that's character rooted in Christ. Mm. And so where I have to, like you, David, I have to come back and say, okay, are you walking in these simple commands that Christ has given us? And are you being obedient? Are you yielding? to the holy spirit are you um jesus says like every man should deny himself take up his mm-hmm. cross and follow me are you on somewhat of a regular basis denying yourself in areas or is everything about you
2: mm. yeah that's wow that's really awesome just thinking about like obedience reigns in the passions and makes mm-hmm. them right like when we're Comparing them to the Word, mm-hmm. and we're walking out that obedience. He reigns in our passions, and He makes them right. Mm-hmm. You know, He makes them for Him. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really a really good point. Um, so then, kind of hand in hand with what we've been talking about, what sorts of things have you found in your own personal life that drains your passion for Jesus? Because I know we all have those things that very quickly take us away from Jesus. And, you know, the enemy knows that our flesh knows that. So kind of talk about that a little bit. We've talked and we've probably talked in previous
4: episodes and we'll talk again on future episodes. Um, But just the world of entertainment, I think when you're in the flow that the world is in, treat yourself, love yourself. it's, It's going against disobedience. I'm mm-hmm. denying myself and I'm walking according to scripture. Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes without saying. But another area that sometimes we reward in our lives, we think it's good, is busyness mm-hmm. yeah. and striving. And just like we we're just so we're very, very busy people. And and we we don't make time for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so something that I um, heard about, and it's a it's like an old early church practice. It's called the daily office, and basically, it's just um, I can have my quiet time in the morning with the Lord. But then sometimes I do that, and then I go about my day, and I forget about Him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I get to the end of the day, and I'm like, I'm stressed out, and I'm worn down. And so that office is taking other times through the day yeah. and saying, okay, here's ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna read two of the Psalms, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna worship for 5 minutes or I'm just going to get alone and pray but I found that when I do something like that and I just okay Josh would like yeah your job can wait mm-hmm. for another 10 minutes yeah. but I just want to um I just want to focus on the Lord and reconnect with him because scripture says in him we live and move and have our being mm-hmm. and I am very I have very limited resources I can pour out and I want to constantly be filling up with the Lord and His strength.
3: Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hearing a a little bit of a theme just as an aside of just like purposing to get alone with the Lord um, outside of what's required. And that kind of reminds me of something the Lord uh, really, something that was really impactful for me recently, the parable of the unprofitable servants, I guess, is what you would call it, but basically... Jesus tells this parable he says it's in Luke 17 which of you if you had a servant would you know after he works all day tell him to come in and eat you wouldn't do that wouldn't you tell him after he comes in that he has to serve you dinner and then he can eat mm. and like what you were saying it's like okay like if if I think that after my day's duties I can have me time mm. <laughs> then that just mm. pulls me away from the lord and even more than that if I think after one taxing task, <laughs> I can have me time, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, oh, it's 1115, you know, I can go do my own thing mm-hmm. or take my lunch break to do my own thing or um, whatever, then then I'm going to start getting away from the Lord. And uh, to me, it, it's really just selfishness. Like, how do I want to spend my time? How do I want, you know, how do I want to spend my free time? What do I want to do Um, I can get into the mindset of like living for the weekend Mm -hmm. of like, I'm just trying to get through this week, just trying to do what I need to do so I can, you know, get, get to that place where I can just let loose. And I, you know, Jesus in the parable says, um, that the master tells those servants to gird themselves after their day's worth of work. Mm. And so I'm, I'm like thinking, thinking about myself and just how self-complacent I can be, self-satisfied I can be with. You know, I have an ability that's from the Lord, like you were talking about earlier, to do what He's asked me to do mm. in any given day. But is that enough, or do I actually want Jesus? Mm. Is it enough to just do, mm. <laughs> to just do those things, or do I actually want um, to to be attentive to what the Lord is saying, to be willing to sacrifice that time for self? or like, or, or, or am I looking to just get by with, you know, what's required and, and nothing more. And that selfishness really, it takes me away from the Lord because just like pretty much like busyness, just like you were saying, but it's busyness in my own strength mm-hmm. and it's busyness with my own goals and it's busyness for my own purposes. Um, it's, it's not the productivity that the Lord is calling me to. And it ends up just like, okay, like next task, next task, next task, so that I can be done mm-hmm. with my tasks rather than Lord, what do you want me to do? like mm. Lord, what do you want me to do? How like what kind of spirit am I going through with my day? I might be doing the right tasks, but do I have a selfish spirit about it? Am I just doing it because I want to get through um and the the I can definitely see a difference when I'm consciously wanting, looking, asking the Lord, how can I, get out of myself and sacrifice myself and my desires. There's a huge difference and being full of a passion for Jesus comes with seeking him and being ready and willing to listen to him.
2: Yeah. I relate with that a lot. I'm just thinking how often I tend to view getting away from people as me time. Mm. So in the same same thing. It's it's like it's it's my time. I get to do what I want, but you know, I'm just thinking of the words that we were bought with a price, and so we have to glorify God with our body, hmm. and um, you know that includes you know ta- our time. I think personally, you know, I have to do everything as unto the Lord. Um, there's nothing outside of His control now because I'm I'm His, and it's so easy to get into that you know mentality of okay, I've had a really busy day. I've been doing some. Pouring out all day. I've been giving all day, and now I'm going to have my time. Mm -hmm. And it's like I'm still needing the Lord to correct me. Like it's not my time anymore, it's His time. Mm. And the time that it, and normally the time that I spend doing things that are just for me. Well, I would say every time, it, it never actually really satisfies. But when I'm actually doing things with him, mm-hmm. being with him, even if it's being quiet in his presence, mm-hmm. whatever that means, it's more satisfying and fulfilling than if I just, you know, did something on my own time and by my own will. So, yeah, yeah definitely relate. Well, just we have to learn. I'm preaching to myself here, I'm
4: not yeah. preaching at someone else All and saying, us, yeah. why don't you figure this out? <laughs> We have to learn how to rest in the Lord, Mm -hmm. Um, because there is. I remember, like years ago, I would say I'm taking a Sabbath. You know, I'm taking me time, and what would I do? I would sin, Mm. or I, or I'd like overindulge in food and Mm -hmm. eat like yeah, just eat stuff I shouldn't be, you know. And um, what is that? That's feeding my flesh, Mm -hmm. literally. And and so it's like even a lot of people know about this. You go on vacation and you come home from vacation and you're more exhausted mm-hmm. than when you left for vacation yeah. because you, okay, we did, mm-hmm. we did this and we did this and we did this and amusement parks, I love them, but they stress me out so much because it's just, it's so much chaos. Yeah. And Lord, would you, like, my prayer is like, Lord, would you teach me how to rest in you mm-hmm. and rest um Yeah, maybe you're stepping on, like, some landmines here, but, like, I think so much of our culture is, like, well, you love you, do you, take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. And I think the important caveat to remember is, okay, well, who is the one who has all that you need? The Lord. And so we need to cultivate a place where we're going to Him to meet those needs Mm -hmm. and not I can find the answer to those things Mm -hmm. in myself. Mm
0: Jesus told us that in the last days, because of a pervasive lawlessness, the love of many would grow cold. He was clearly speaking about our days. We are watching as a massive percentage of the church is being co-opted by the spirit of the age and being prepared for the emergence of the Antichrist spirit. A passionate love for Jesus is without a doubt the strongest protection against the spirit of Babylon. When the love of God is burning brightly in our hearts and minds, we're quick to repent of sin. We're vigilant to guard ourselves against any influence that would deaden our spiritual lives. We're sensitive to any voice that would seduce us away from the one we love so much. There's no doubt about it, generally speaking, Our church culture is apathetic, worldly, and compromised. And anyone who wants to keep the fire burning in their hearts is in for a battle. An uphill battle. But we don't have an option. Jesus is coming back for a bride who is eagerly waiting, passionately waiting for his appearing. May we all be found with that kind of heart.